Um, out of the development projects that you have already undertaken and those on the way, could you sketch a couple of examples to exemplify on a hyper-local level how that looks like, how you're doing development differently, also some of the seedlings uh, that you see where out of you deploying capital and structuring the projects in a different way, actually the people living there having a better life? Absolutely. Um, so there's a, a couple of models. One of them is we work in a smaller community in Chicago. Well, it's, it's actually not a smaller community. It's a very vibrant community uh, in the southwest side of Chicago called La Vita or Little Village. Um, it has a culture of entrepreneurship. It has around 1,200 businesses. And after the recession of 2008, the Amazon effect and everything, a lot of the stores are starting to sort of dwindle down. And this community is very resilient um, because of, of that culture. So we helped build a, an incubator space called the Esquina Incubator. And what this project really is, is a catalyst for community reinvestment because what what happens is that um, the culture of entrepreneurship stays in the community. Uh, the building itself was a public-private partnership and impact investment in real estate. So we got philanthropy, uh, philanthropy to step in and invest in a building in the middle of the, the commercial corridor to actually be a demonstration project for the rest of the corridor. And so what we have now is a development that's around 13,000 square feet shared commercial kitchen, incubator space for small businesses, community cafe. And really the idea is to draw energy into the space and have people interact and come up with ideas. We know that we cannot solve all the problems. All we know is that we can set the stage, set the intention, put a project, you know, it's gonna be a very profitable project for, for the organizations that are involved. And what ends up happening is that over time, that particular asset, because it's earning revenues, can be owned by the community itself. So not only is it a catalyst for growth, it is also an economic catalyst for the community. So those two things together um, create a very strong punch. Another project we have working is on the south, uh, southeast side of Chicago. Uh, my business partner, um, who's African-American, uh, worked over three years interviewing all of his neighbors and wanted to really create a new future. He said, well, what's going to be important for our community? Brownsville has a tremendous history. If you know, you look up Brownsville and Chicago is one of those uh, neighborhoods that has a tremendous amount of history. Sam Cooke, Quincy Jones, a lot of amazing people, uh, you know, artists, et cetera, leaders, thought leaders came from that area. But um, because of the policies of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, the neighborhood was just basically devastated without any investment. And all of the, the investment happened in the north side of Chicago. Well, we come back, P3 Markets comes, comes to the table and says, let's do something extraordinary. And so what we did was we created, we thought super big, let's create a hundred million dollar project over a few phases. Let's find ourselves a large developer. Let's create a joint venture with them. And let's go ahead and build something just as good or better than in other parts of the city. And let's offer all of those amenities and services, cultural spaces and connectivity to that community. And so a tremendous success. The city of Chicago is extremely happy about where we are at. We're actually topping off uh, the, ten, the first phase, which is a 10 story building. The, re, the, way, the reason it's so important is because it got us in the driver's seat of working with a large 
merchant builder institution. We were able to connect and build this, this amazing asset. And all of the ground floor retail will be taken up by people of color, which means that we were able to subsidize a lot of that space. We worked out a deal with the developer to say, hey, you know, we as an organization want to purchase the commercial real estate assets uh, the ground floor retail. So then at some point in the future, we can then sell it potentially to the uh, the end user, right? Because what ends up happening in big neighborhoods, uh, when there's a, a great neighborhood that's evolving and changing, a lot of these, uh, they call it gentrification or, you know, basically, you know, getting people out of their community. Well, the reason that is, is because people don't own the real estate. They don't own the commercial real estate. So we are like, well, before that happens, Let's put a program in place to be able to, at the point where when we stabilize the asset, have those real deep conversations about, hey, maybe it's time for you to think about ownership versus rent. So it's, uh, you know, most most people like building big balance sheets and et cetera. We see ourselves more as building ecosystems that are going to evolve, grow, and create resiliency. So as, if we do that more often, then we start to, entice larger investments, larger different investors into projects, and then we're able to do them at scale. So that's basically, you know, two examples. There's many more, but those are the ones that are in my hometown. What I find striking because the segue towards building a whole ecosystem for sustainable uh, conscious real estate is very interesting because at least in my mind and heart, These, these two examples in, in the neighborhood are not only following the market, they're, they're really rethinking the very model how real estate is done and also how to prevent the gentrification aspects of it. I mean, how beautiful that at least you have the possibility then to offer to these disenfranchised communities uh, to move from uh, rent to ownership. Let's, let's ping pong in between the different Uh, layers of uh, this ecosystem. So the sketched examples are obviously hyper-local. So they're really in a specific part of Chicago. What are the other components that you think need to move and where are involved in to, to have a bigger impact, let's say on a municipality level, state level and national level? I don't know if the international level um, plays like any role for you as a developer on the ground. Yeah, I think there's, uh, uh, first, it, it's that a lot of the, the intelligence that's being created, you know, what I call it, again, in the micro level, the microcosm, is not being shared, you know, and those learnings are not necessarily um, being shared with others. <clears throat> there's a reason for that, because, first of all, you know, they're, they're concentrating, they're heavily concentrated in where, where they are. So I think there's an opportunity to really share all those learnings across our country um, and even internationally. There's, there's, there's a lot of different markets, right? Again, you know, different, different types of asset classes. But when we think about the ecosystem, what we're really thinking about are, are things that seem obvious but are not very obvious. For example, um, allowing the community to participate and own you know, part of the project. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's it's radical, but it is because 
if if a, a developer is doing a project, they're like, well, why would the community own any of this? <laughs> we're we're the ones coming up with all the money. We're taking all the risk. We have this this large back office. We got to take care of. But what I've realized is that it is possible. It is possible because what we have to do is look at other ways of funding projects. And if the if the uh, municipalities or the state or other funding sources are available, then why not have those conversations, right? It could also happen in reverse. Nothing. There's nothing that, that says that an, a, a very well-organized organization or community can't come to the table and basically say, hey, we'd like to be part of this project and own or steward right, a piece of this project and, and basically then start to take action in their own hands. As a matter of fact, that is already happening in other parts of the country. An organization called the American Sustainable Business Network, ASBN, has been categorizing, you know, cataloging a lot of these different projects. And one of the, the concepts is let's create a book of knowledge. Let's share it with you know, all the practitioners. Let's also share it with investors that might be looking to do projects that are fun, engaging, resilient, sort of ESG labeled, right? And we're solving two problems. We're solving the problem that's happening in communities, but we're also solving the big money problem. Where do I put my money? If you hear a lot of these larger conversations around finance, it's, you know, we just can't find good projects. I think that's, an, that's just basically some type of an excuse. There's a lot of ways to deploy capital. I think that we have to professionalize the processes, be very intentional about continuously improving the models, be very clear about what are the objectives and metrics, be very clear about what does impact really look like, you know, and people think it's just about money, but it's not. It's also about creating long-term, long-tail benefits for communities, what we call cascading benefits. For example, you know, uh, why is nature detracted from a development? Why is placemaking detracted from it? What are those actual values? If we look at like these large crises like mental health, well, if you actually look very closely at what's happening is because they have a job that's two miles away from where they live. There isn't any trees near where they live. Um, the access to transportation is very difficult. There's really not that many jobs. They're barely make, you know, making ends meet. And so of course there's gonna be a mental health crisis because they feel that they can't live with dignity. They can't live with the dignity of their lives. They can't actually do what they feel is important. And I'm not speaking for them as, as a victim. You know, I think a lot of people don't feel that way, but they also see the stark reality that is the lack of access, the lack of investment, and they don't, they feel powerless. So if the funding is there and philanthropy has done a great job at like, let's solve these problems. They're sort of like, you know, the seed capital to get some of these things sort of going, but we have to really entice and we have to also inspire, you know, big money to say, you know what? It makes more sense for us to invest in financial resiliency in a community, go deep, and then have that community sort of grow and educate and, and extract and, and, and share from each other and then grow organically. It becomes more cohesive and there's a lot of more communal things that can happen. So I, I think that the real, the real challenge here is getting um, all of these wonderful projects in front of 
larger level investors as a macrocosm and try to influence policy and investment objectives to actually really looking deeper into the cascading benefits of those investments. And that's definitely possible. So, I mean, with that, you have basically taken a couple of bullet points off my list to, to ask you. What I find particularly interesting and I completely agree is that philanthropy can only be the very start of it. What we need to rethink are the cascading benefits and bake them into the business models. Like you say, long-term and long-term long, long and long long tail mm -hmm. um, as well as these cascading benefits when 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 i think about let's let's stay with this hyper local example so um in, I, I don't mind which one of the two or or you sketch a third one mm -hmm. how do you think realistically this is going forward maybe it's easier to stay with uh, chicago for a moment so mm -hmm. when you have a good example how do you enter the next playing field and unlock further funds to move into a corridor that is more likely uh, to build community uh, resiliency? That's a great question. Um, so what we need to do is a couple of things, right? We have to look, for sure, we have to look at the numbers, right? At the end of the day, although, you know, a lot of these ideas or concepts are out there, we have to make sure that, that they that they pencil out, you know, that they, at the end of the day, whether it's a longer term um, uh, outlook for financial returns or, or actual returns, um, every, everyone gets stuck in the short term, three years, five years, et cetera, right? And that's, that's gonna be important for the project to maintain and stabilize. So if it does not pass the stabilization period, then you have a project that, that basically is gonna be hard to to move forward. So at the end of the day, at some level, it has to, there has to be a measurement of success. <clears throat> so I look at it like a three-year stabilization period. Um, at that moment in time, you look at all the learnings, right? So we're sort of in the middle of the process. I, I don't wanna say that we figured it out. I think when we figure it out is when we realize that someone takes the same template and says, hey, how did that happen? What would you do different? Um, where can you shorten your timeframes? What can you, what could you do now that, you know, what would you have done that you would have done before, et cetera. And, you know, they say community development is messy and it really is, it's, it's very messy, but it's best, it's very necessary. So as messy as it is, and, and what I've realized is that, could you imagine going to a, a investor meeting saying, well, you gotta wait three years to actually figure out if this actually worked. It's not gonna work. Most Mostly what you'll get is a lot of, uh, it's all theoretical, but once it's no longer theoretical, once you realize that after those three years, you actually have the data that demonstrates that this project was extremely successful at all E, S, and G levels, then, you know, they'll, they'll ignore you until they realize, wow, this is a gem. This is a diamond that was created through a lot of pressure and work. And I think that that's what needs to happen across the board. Everyone's looking for the quick fix. Let's get it done now you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And they want quick financial results. That's not the way the world is gonna work in the future. I think we're gonna to have to start looking at longer term sort of returns because if we're always chasing profits, we're not chasing life, 
we're excluding life from the equation. And we're not, you know, we're not just another peg. We're not just another line in a, in a pro forma. People are not that way, but they're being felt that way. You know what I mean? If you look at, at even if you look at all, all the other types of systems that are interconnected with real estate, they're very much like that. And so we have to, someone has to take a stand and say, you know what? Let's look at the long-term cascading benefits of doing this investment. Maybe we're not making as much money in the beginning. It pencils out, you know, we meet our objectives. However, you know, the project has tremendous benefits for communities and has tremendous benefits long-term because all of a sudden that becomes a, a templatized type of project that can then be taken somewhere else. And then if you start looking at, well, how does this affect economics overall? Well, there's less money being spent by municipalities to cover some of these issues. There's high productivity from people that are actually living in these communities. Um, local local uh, and uh, other retailers are getting high quality workforce. Well, isn't that novel? I'm not spending, you know, 50 cents out of every dollar to retrain somebody because my employees are happy, they're good. And so we have to stop thinking that the way things are going are good, is gonna be the way things are gonna go in the future. Especially when we throw in climate change, you know, like let's throw that wrench into the whole situation. Let's throw all these other challenges that are happening. We have to really start looking at how do we solve all of these things, not apart from each other as an ecosystem. That's why I keep saying, how is the real estate ecosystem connected to the larger ecosystems? And how is that interconnectivity really supposed to interact? And it interacts a lot with finance, you know, with investments for municipalities from all of the different sources of capital that are available to make those things change and actually.